Blog Talk Radio. This is Patty Holstrand, and this is KWAD Radio, and we're on live today. We're excited. It's going to be a really cool week. We've got three awesome authors that we're going to be talking to this week. And we're starting the week off today, which is Tuesday. Because you know what? We just don't like Monday, so we ignore it. <laughs> so today, we're going to be talking to James Gurley. And if you haven't seen the episode, the episode information, we've got a synopsis here of his one of his latest books. And one that I know a lot of you would really get into, which is Ice Station Zombie. I know I particularly thought that was a cool title. James had given me more information about himself, which, is, is, which of course, we definitely appreciate. He's a 59-year-old Atlanta chef. I know, that's interesting, isn't it? An Atlanta chef. Means he was he was uh, a chef in Atlanta, Georgia, and now lives in Tucson, Arizona, with his wife Kim and two cats. Of course, he didn't tell us the cats' names, but hey, you know they're two cats. He writes horror and science fiction full time, which is you know that that's really saying a lot when somebody's writing full time. And he plays the guitar and keyboards for local area bands part time. He's also presently playing with Kamikaze Hounds, an alternative rock band, which we definitely need to talk about that one. James, are you there? I'm here, yes. <laughs> How are well, you doing? Good. I'd have to say that the uh, the new information you gave me, the bio information you gave me uh, recently was really interesting, and we'll definitely have to talk about it all that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but just to let everybody know, we this is live, so you know there are some shows that I put on that are not. Yes, the one yesterday was not live because we pre-recorded it. But uh, James is actually live. I know that might be scary, considering what yeah, he likes. It is. <laughs> I hope I don't get a horror story out of it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Does <laughs> that make a horror story for both of us? <laughs> yeah. His, his call in number, just so everybody know, is seven one four two four two five one four five. And no, I don't need to have them all myself, so definitely, you know, call in and start asking some questions. Uh, I got some general ones that I usually ask, but you know, uh definitely usually wind up getting some interesting stuff when people call in. So, 714-242-5145. Now, James, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and I know you gave me that, that, that cool bio, but tell us more about yourself, how you got involved in writing. Well, I've always liked to write. Um, never thought about it as a uh, career or anything, but, you know, I would write short stories and, you know, make up stuff. I was pretty good playing by myself when I was a kid. So I, I had a good imagination. Yeah, later on in my teens, uh, 
some friends and I used to get together, you know, for a few beers or whatever and uh, do round-robin stories, uh, you know, mm-hmm. just mostly fantasy, science fiction, whatever. My first real uh, try at it was I, I wrote a series of, uh, like, southern short stories, and I put them together in a book uh, with a couple of science fiction short stories and uh, had it printed up and gave them out as Christmas presents to my family and friends. And they seemed to enjoy it, and everybody kept encouraging me to write. So, you know, I kind of put that in the, on the back burner. I be- became a chef, and that's that's full-time work right there. Yeah, yeah definitely. But uh, my health got a little bad, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I should try writing. So I tried for a couple of years to sell some short stories with no real luck, and then I went to a uh, like a, a week-long seminar out in the woods when I was living up in Pennsylvania, and uh, got a lot of good information, and I sold two short stories within the next two weeks. And, you know, once I kind of got the feel of selling short stories, I started working on some novels, and I, I guess I've been very lucky at it. Yes, I guess so. Uh, I was looking at how much you've been writing. You're very prolific. You really. I love to write. (laughs) (laughs) So, when was the first time that you wrote uh, something that would be considered, you know, something? I mean, maybe not selling, but uh, something that you have put into some kind of publication. Uh, Well, the the first one, I guess you would call it a novella that I included with some of the short stories, science fiction. was uh, called Cathos, and it was your run-of-the-mill story about colonists on a, another world finding um, alien artifacts, and uh, there was a war between the Federation and the rebels, and they, of course, were trying to take over the planet, and they awakened a sleeping alien on the world that basically saved them. <laughs> it was a pretty run-of-the-mill story, but, you know, I liked it. <laughs> Well, it sounds uh, a little bit like um, a couple of authors I know, Ari Salvatore would would probably be one that that comes to mind. Well, who inspired you as far as when you were reading? Oh, as far as horror, I guess my favorite horror authors were uh, H.P. Lovecraft and Stephen King, of course. Uh, When I first started writing horror, I got one... Uh, rejection that said you, you sound too much like H.P. Lovecraft, <laughs> which I liked, but I found out later that uh, you know you, you can use the ideas, but not uh, try and the flowery language that he used a lot. As far uh, as science fiction, yeah. I guess Robert Silverberg and of course Isaac Asimov were two of my favorites. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's pretty diverse. I mean, you're talking about as you know science fiction, and you got some horror, and they're very distinctly different uh, styles of writing. Is it that you wanted uh, they, to kind of make your own yeah. from that? They are different, and uh, it sometimes it's hard to keep them apart. But luckily, movies and books like Alien and stuff has kind of combined <laughs> the two, so that you can have. You know, science-based horror fiction uh, it works very well. Now, most of my science fiction is not horror per se, although I've written a couple of dark uh, 
science fiction short stories. Uh, it is hard to keep the two separate. <laughs> now, have you had? Um, have you noticed any uh, increase in sales when it comes to short your short works compared to your books at this time? Well, I haven't really written any short stories in well over a year, almost two years. I, it, writing novels seems to take up most of my time. I really need to try and get back into some short stories for some anthologies at least because short stories are a good way to get your name out in front of the public, especially if you can get in an anthology with you know, well-known writers. I mean, it's difficult, but it certainly can help. Oh, yeah, Definitely. But more so in that the the short stories are selling very well now because of the e-readers. Uh, right, they are. So that is why I was asking if you notice anything. But yeah, if you if, you know, you might be able to want to put some of your old uh, short stories if they haven't been sold somewhere else into uh, the Kindle format, so that way you can you know start selling some of that and and draw interest. Well, that's a good idea. It draws yeah. interest to I've, your I've got your, a your lot that <laughs> Yeah, I've got some that I that you know, I didn't sell and I really stuck them back, but you know, over the years I've become a better writer, so I go back over them and, you know, try and write them better, you know, so that they they are more sellable and that would be something good to do. I mean, you know, you can put something on Amazon right now and it sells very well. One of my Publisher Severed Press, the one who I've got most of my zombie titles through, uh, or encouraged me to write some, at least some novellas, uh, you know, 20,000 words, 25, 30,000 words mm-hmm. for them. And I intend to do that this year on several different kind of subjects. They gave me some ideas. Ah, see. They're, they're saying the same kind of, uh, you know, uh, things that are, you know, that are going on with the sales. So that's probably why they're asking you to do that. They're probably seeing that yeah, same uh, system there. Yeah, it, it is. Um, just to to name another author, a friend of mine, Jonathan Mayberry, has really, you know, hit his stride lately in uh, selling, you know, lots of books. And he's been putting out quite a few short stories um, in ebook form that um, go along with his, especially his, like his Flesh and Blood zombie series. And uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. some of the stuff like that, and and it's a good way to to get people interested, because a lot of people yeah. will read short stories that don't read novels, but if right. you can, you know, pique their interest, uh, they might they might decide to read it. Yeah, uh, I, I found that you know the short stories actually draw interest to your larger works, so that's always a yeah whatever works, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's easy to write. It's hard to sell. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, that's the hardest part. Of Luckily, I was in sales for a while, so I kind of, you know, I'm certainly not afraid to, to push myself. I just don't want to, you know, push myself on people that don't want to hear about it. You know, yeah. Facebook and things like that are full of people that the only time you hear from them is when they're talking about their books. Uh, I, I try yeah. not to be that obnoxious. Yeah. Yeah. I that's uh 
Yeah, I'm I'm constantly out there, but I'm not. It's not it's not a hard sale thing. But then again, I've got a lot of other media that I can sell through, so that helps. That's right. <laughs> like well, the radio. I think I think, <laughs> I think I've seen a little increase in the sales of Nice Station Zombie just since you put up the uh, synopsis on your website. Oh, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Hey, hey, people, you got to hear that. <laughs> and thanks, thanks for the plug. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, I've been telling everybody about it, about your uh, station, and very, very interesting. I wasn't even aware, really, that there were people out there, you know, offering this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a wonderful way to, to get yourself known. Yes, exactly. And, you know, I've, I've got a lot to say, so <laughs> might, I might as well put it on the radio. <laughs> So, you, know, I, I, you know, it's a great way to meet people. You know, I, here I have a station, and and I got you know a couple hours a day I could I could put anybody on. Um, the thing is that you know I, I like to meet people, and this is a good way to do it. And 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 by helping them to promote their works, uh, you know, that's how it should be. Uh, right. Uh, that's one thing I've noticed. About writers, fellow authors, you know, I'm at conventions, I go to a lot of conventions, and you would think that they would be jealous, you know, about new writers coming up, but all I found is they are, uh, you know, are almost willing to go out of their way to help young writers. They don't see it as competition. I, you know, it's interesting because I would agree and yet disagree with you. Okay. Uh, I agree. I agree that men have no problem. Um, I can sit down and talk to. I've talked to, you know, uh, some big name, big name authors who, who sit down and as long as I get them a coffee, they're they'll talk to me for hour long. They have. Uh, yeah. Um, but I understand women, women you know, yeah. do have a bigger problem. I'm not sure why, because I've always read, you know, women writers. Uh, you know, one. You know, Anne McCaffrey was one of my favorites, and um, Lois Bujold. I mean, God, I, I read read those all the time. I love that their works. And in horror, there's plenty of women horror writers that I admire. Um, you know, I I, I don't understand um, the problem they're having. I guess it's because I'm a male, you know, and I haven't run into <laughs> things yeah. like that. But you know, certainly I would never do anything to discourage a, a woman writer and you know, I support them all I can. Yeah, I, I'm not quite sure that it's like the women find other women uh, writers should be a threat somehow. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird. Weird. I know. It's weird. I mean, <laughs> uh, you know, as I, I, as I put it, as, as, you know, uh, this is hard enough business without, you know, without that kind of attitude. So, <laughs> Yeah, okay. we got to help each other. Well, there there are know, fewer women writers out there, I guess. So I guess there are might might be a little jealous of their positions, but you know, well, I don't know. You got to help what, each other out. Yeah. Obviously, romance is full of women writers. Yeah, you know, that's uh, true. Yeah, but if you put you know, science fiction uh, or true science fiction and, and fantasy, then yeah, there's there's fewer of of, of us out there. But uh, I think that's changing. That's changing quite a bit because, you know, men still have to have their main career being something else usually in order to so in order to pay for their families. Well, um, that, that's true of a lot of writers. I'm 
I'm in a you know kind of a strange position. I'm I'm retired, but I, I was able to retire because you know my wife makes good money. I made good money as a chef, but I was I was never home. I never had a holiday off. I worked you know 15, 16, 17 hours a day. And uh, it was just a rough life, and it was just rough on a marriage, just rough on everything. So it just got to the point that uh, we said, well, you know, if we cut back a little bit, uh, I could quit work and write, you know, take care of the cats, take care of the house, that kind of thing. So I guess I'm a home a homebody, <laughs> but I mean, it's not like we're poor or anything. We, you know, we could make a lot more money if we both worked, but there comes a point that. You know what's the point of just making right. more money? Right, right, exactly. And and you know there's so many people out there trying to find a job. So. Yeah. And, and you know cats are important to take care of. So that's right. Because <laughs> they they definitely rule the house. And you know, I was <laughs> yeah. noticing I didn't tell you the names of my cats. We have a 15 year old cat named Elsie. She was just bitten by a rattlesnake a few weeks ago. Oh man! I live in Arizona, so there's a few around, and yeah. uh, thought she was going to die, you know, being so old. But she pulled through, and she's more like a, a kitten now. She's running around and acting younger. And then I've got a a younger cat, maybe three years old, uh, called Shoes. Uh, but yeah, having cats is is cool. I love dogs, but don't have the room for for a dog. Yeah. You know, small, small yard and all that. Yeah, cats just you know kind of take care of themselves. Sure, they they yeah, you they know how to give them back. <laughs> you know, yeah. And once in a while, I have to you know because she's a long haired cat, so sometimes she has problems with her fur balls. <laughs> but yeah, it's a different story. <laughs> she's yeah, you never right have there. to worry about <laughs> you never have to worry about oversleeping with a cat. Oh man, yeah. They she, uh, she, they come and wake she, you up whenever they want to eat. Yeah. I wake up with yeah. a cat crawling up on top of me. And she meows at me like, hey, it's time to get up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My alarm clock. That's my little alarm clock. So that that works well. So let's, let's talk right. about your writing. Let's talk about your writing. Okay. You uh, your family, what, is it, what did they think about it when you started writing full time? Uh, well, they, they actually, I mean, they encouraged me. Um, they they had read you know some of the stuff that I've written short stories and stuff and thought I had some talent. Uh, definitely needed some work, but my storytelling ability was there. My uh, grammar probably you know had a lot uh, needed a lot of work and probably still does. But I'm getting better. But they've always encouraged me. My mother is like my top salesperson. <laughs> Anytime <laughs> I have a book that comes mm-hmm. out. She sells them to everyone she knows and uh, carries one around in her purse everywhere she goes, and she'll go to the bank and pull one out. You need to buy my son's book. <laughs> and she's, she's 86, so people are like, okay, I'll buy it. I'm not going to argue with an old woman. <laughs> yeah, moms are great. So, yeah, she sells sells a lot of books. And, of course, I have... Uh, Three nieces and a sister, well, my sister works in the school, but three nieces are teachers, and, you know, they take them to the libraries in uh, different schools and give them out, and, you know, I've had 
several teachers, you know, write me about how much they enjoyed it. You know, some of my stuff. I I try to write stuff that my mother would read. It's not <laughs> too vulgar. You know, I mean, I don't I don't cut it too badly, but you know, I don't uh, throw in all the f bombs and things like that if I can if I can help it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Unless, of course, it's necessary for the character. So, yeah, I have a few can... characters that they talk that way, but you know, I tend to think if when you're, you know, if you're just using uh, obscenity, it, it, right. you're, there's other ways you can say something. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, it doesn't really. It might tell you something about your character, but it's a writer's job to describe the character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, without right. just saying. Well, he he cusses a lot. Well, that's that's cool. You don't have to say it every time. <laughs> right. <laughs> we have somebody waiting on the line for you. So hang on here. Oh, that's great. So it's number 9597, last four digits. You're on live. Okay. You, do you have Hello? a question for James? Hello. Hi, do you have- yeah, Hi. Uh, uh, James, where did you get your idea for iStation Zombie? <laughs> well, it's kind of weird. I had written a zombie, well, it wasn't actually a zombie novel, but a book called Hellrig based in uh, on uh, actually some of my exploits working in the oil fields of Louisiana. And I had zombies in it, but they were um, like voodoo-type zombies. And I was contacted by Severed Press uh, out of uh, Melbourne, Australia, wanting to know if I'd write a, a zombie novel for them. And I thought about it, and uh, that very weekend I was watching uh, I Station Zebra with Rock Hudson and everything, and I was thinking, oh, that would be great if it had zombies in it. And I thought, I Station Zombie, that'll work. So that's where that came from. That's interesting, uh, because you usually think of, like you said, zombies being not not from, certainly not from an ice station. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to make it a little scientific using the the nanites and everything, and then uh, you know, not they the nanites are inactive at a, a lower temperature, but then things started heating up, and, and that's where your you know your horror comes in. Yeah, right. Well, that that's interesting. fact, I was wondering how you got got that. Um, that title and and that that's kind of a very interesting way of going about it. I guess a good writer can write just about anything if you give him a subject. He can come up with something on it. Sometimes I start with the title when I'm writing, <laughs> you know, yeah. just like a, a good idea. I tell you, I did a three by a two by three poster of the cover of Ice Station Zombie, and I was at the Tucson Festival of Books a couple of years ago, and had it sitting out in front of the booth with some other people there. And people were walking by, and they were just like drawn like a magnet to it. And I sold like twenty three or twenty four books there, which everybody thought was pretty good, you know, um, for that area. That so that is. It's good. very attractive cover. And and zombies are seem to be a very popular uh, horror genre that right now, or for some time, I think. All the movies they're are they're really out. hot, yeah. Yeah, major stars in zombie movies. It's just amazing. Yeah, uh, I think World War Z is going to liven things up a bit. I mean, it's a different kind of zombie, but 
you know, people want different kind of zombies. I try and have mine different in each novel that I write. Uh, uh-huh. you, you can have the old uh, Night of the Living Dead zombies, but unless a dozen of them corner you in a telephone booth, they're just not that dangerous. <laughs> are, there know, any, won't. are there any handsome or pretty uh, zombies? <laughs> well, I don't know. I think Warm Bodies is that, that one with the, yeah, yeah. the the boy that falls in love with the girl and becomes more human as time goes by. Oh. It's not too bad looking for a zombie. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But, uh, I would be considered a geek if, if he were alive. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I was wondering how you got that uh, title and uh, that... That's a great story about it. Um, I appreciate the question. Thanks for calling. You're, you're welcome. Thank Bye-bye. you. See, he jumped a gun, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Hadn't gotten down. Hadn't gotten down to the individual books yet, but that's cool. That's cool. Thanks for the, thanks for asking the question. Uh, then we can get talk about the individual books, but you know that's a great story about how you find your inspiration for certain writing, uh, for certain stories. So you start with a title. Uh, and maybe an idea in your head, and then do you write a uh, outline for it, or do you just kind of go by you know right by the seat of your pants? I, I'm pretty much a seat of the pants writer. Sometimes when I get into a story, I'll I'll do rough outlines, um, mainly to keep my my timeline mm-hmm. uh, straight. You know, especially if I'm I'm jumping from character to character. Or events are happening in different places. I try and keep the timeline straight, and you know, make sure that my characters uh, have the same color hair and eyes, you know, throughout the novel. <laughs> but most of the time, I just write what feels like should come next. I kind of have an idea how I want it to run, mm-hmm. but I don't like okay, chapter two is going to do this, and chapter seven I want them to do this. Uh, I just I just write away. Sometimes I just start out, even if I don't have a title, I'll have like a basic idea and I'll write the first paragraph. And that kind of sets the mood for the rest of the story. Cool. That's very cool. Um, Somebody asking here, oh, research. Uh, Somebody's asking, even though you write horror, uh, do you do it? Or actually, he also writes science fiction. Everyone. So, uh, do you? So the question would be, do you do any research for writing your books? I do quite a bit of research. Yes, I I like to start out with with true facts, you know, before I lead the reader into something that I've totally made up. There needs to be some kind of basis. It's a little more solid in science fiction, um, but in horror. You know, if I'm writing about, well, like I'm, I write of some stories based in southern Arizona. Well, I know what the area looks like. I know what plants go grow in what areas. You know, I always look up wherever I'm writing, what grows where, what the climate's like. You know, I'll put yeah. up a, uh, get up a Google map and look at the city and figure out, you know, okay, they're going to go down this road and that road. Or if I'm using weapons, I uh, Google different kind of weapons and see which ones I prefer. Cars. Yeah, I try and do my research, yeah, and then then I make shit up. <laughs> <laughs> do 
do you have anything that's time period oriented that you would need to do research for? Most of my stuff is is either in a world I've created or fairly current. Uh, I haven't really said anything or any novels anyway in a different time period. I've got a couple of short stories that uh, one in particular that I'm reworking, uh, kind of a, a voodoo detective story set in uh, New Orleans in the 30s. So I was just in New Orleans, so I, you know, kind of, and I used to live there and got a feel for the city. But I am doing research on what it looked like in the 30s. But uh, other than that, I, I stay pretty current. I've got friends that that write, uh, oh, you know, like Victorian or things like that, and they do a lot of research. I don't know if, if I have the patience for that. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would be an acquired taste. Yeah. Uh, now, now I'm looking at your your Hellrig now. When was this written? And tell us a little bit about that one. Okay, I wrote Hellrig. Ooh, I think uh, five years ago. I'm I'm trying to think exactly when, but I think it was five years ago. Uh, it was actually the first book that uh, was published by uh, you know small press. Well. I had one published by Publish America, which I was very, you know, felt great about at the time. And, of course, I found out that they would publish anything. I mean, they, they don't even look <laughs> yeah. at it. So I'm aware. You know, I'm aware of it. <laughs> so, you know, I learned, learned my lesson from that. But Hellrig was published by um, Damnation Books. And, uh, you know, I'm very glad of them. I've had two through them. And, then, of course, that, you know kind of kick-started my writing. Good. Uh, as I said, I, awesome. I lived in New, or I lived below New Orleans for a couple of years working in the oil fields and used to ah. go to New Orleans all the time. And I set it on an oil rig because I worked offshore some. And oil rigs are dangerous places, and there's some really strange characters that work in the oil fields. And I kind of combined the two with the uh, the threat of Hurricane Katrina and then Hurricane Rita few weeks after that and uh I used the oil rig and the storms as a, you know one of the main characters in in the the novel and then threw in some voodoo and uh some people <laughs> willing or unwilling to die for me and uh had a story. <laughs> it's just something about a, that the rig is haunted by the ghost of the digger digger man. Yeah, the, the digger man. The mechanic. Yeah, he was a Cajun mechanic, and uh, he had a, um, you know, he believed in voodoo, and he had a, it's called a grigri, a, a bag you wear around your neck that contains some different, you know, uh, powders and amulets and things like that to, for protection. And he went to a voodoo uh, woman in New Orleans, and she gave him, uh, you know, some hairs from Papa Legaby, who was you know, a famous uh, voodoo man, and uh, it was too much power for him. And when he went back to the oil rig, Dumbala Wido is the uh, king of all the, the loas or the voodoo gods. He turned evil, and he was trying to open a gateway between the land of the living and the land of the dead. And he possessed the digger man and used him to murder everyone on the rig except for 
one man, Rick Waters, and uh, his ghost haunted the rig. So when my crew from Rebirth Incorporated came out a few weeks later to try and uh, get the rig in suitable condition to bring out a rework crew, uh, they were dealing with a haunted oil rig, and uh, one wow. of the characters in the book was actually possessed again by uh, Dumbala Wido and was he was killing them off using their souls as power and the power of the storm to open the gateway. So it was basically wow. a battle between uh Arzuli Danto, who was a female warrior, Loa, and Dumbala Wido. Uh, so it was on a spiritual plane and you know, run, hide from the zombies and try and get away from the storm type of book. So well, there's a lot of action in it. I guess so. That sounds awesome. And just hearing it from you actually made it sound even even more interesting than, than the writing. You have your short synopsis here. Well, great. I, okay. I love telling stories. and you know, The difficult part is uh, writing it down on paper and getting it in a form that people will enjoy my my problem i guess because you know my southern heritage is when i write i write like i think and a lot of the sentences get convoluted <laughs> luckily my wife is from up north and she's one of my main editors and she'll read something and say well this just doesn't make sense to me or she'll say well who are you talking about here and to me it's obvious who i would meant but to her right. it wasn't so i have to go back and say okay i need to throw in a name instead of he and she here, you know, 15 times. So she helps me <laughs> get get it in line, so I at least get it to an editor where they will uh, think that it's not too much work to bother with and buy it. <laughs> now, Ice Zombies has been out for a couple of years, so it's based on what you said, and it, I thought it was one of your newer newer books. No, it's not got- one of my newer ones, but it's it's a really good one, and I think. And I just wrote a sequel. I had not intended to write a sequel for it, um, but I had a lot of people asking me about it. So finally, Severed Press contacted me, and I wrote a sequel called Chill Factor. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really want to make it your your normal sequel, where I left the other one, you know, they had found a way to... Uh, inactivate the nanites and all of that. I didn't want to just like take it on where they were going to every city, you know, taking the world back. I went back to Antarctica in it with different characters. This t- this time, it was basically from an American viewpoint. The other book had one American. Everyone else was Australian, and I wrote it using Australian Stein and different, you know, from an Australian viewpoint. So I changed mm-hmm. it to Pure American this time and set it in uh, Amundsen-Scott Station and at the South Pole and McMurdo Station and uh, brought in my other characters toward the end of it to to kind of coincide with it. But hopefully it'll it'll do well, too. <laughs> and you've got something coming up. You've got a uh, story that you uh, have coming up. What's your what's your new work that you have coming? Well, I have a a novel, a, sci- a, a young adult science fiction novel called Oracle of Delphi, um, through Montag Press, uh, coming out later this year. I'm not 
I don't really have a date yet. Hopefully, in the next you know month or so, uh, it is hopefully a part of a series. I've got the second book already written and an idea for the third. It's uh, about a a 16 year old boy uh, on, a, on another planet, and pretty much it's 500 years into the future, but 500 years ago, a force called the Dark Veil swept out of the center of the galaxy and destroyed stars, maybe planets, and uh, cut them off from the rest of the the, the galaxy. They have no idea if anyone else has survived. There's no more uh, faster-than-light travel between planets. Uh, They had to live in underground sanctuaries and have just come out and kind of reached the early industrial stage. What makes it interesting, I have uh, uh, nine different alien species living on the planet uh, that, you know, try to coexist, but of course there's always conflict. And uh, there's... That's a good size book yeah, my, there. Okay. It's it's pretty good. It's a, it's a big scope. It it's science fiction, uh, but on a fantasy level. But I, everything I try and keep everything based in in science. You know, I don't kind of I don't go too far off the wall in it, uh, other than in the storytelling. And one of my other main characters is a sixteen-year-old autistic king. Uh, because he's autistic, he's being kind of controlled by the uh, uh, the regents. But he's also an oracle. That's where the oracle of Delphi, the, the city is called Delphi. He's an oracle, and he has these dreams that uh, foretell the future. And the, uh-huh. the regents have been using his dreams, interpreting them for their own use. But uh, young Tad De Silva becomes a, a a watcher and he he's a companion to the king and learns to interpret the dreams huh. that puts him on a, a trail of adventure and puts him at odds with the regents interesting um I recently read some synopsis uh, for a movie that was that came out not too long ago uh but it was more contemporary uh, about someone, uh, a, a child was autistic, but he could see visions of the future. Ah, it's interesting that you would, <laughs> that you would come up with that idea of the uh, autistic person, the autistic young person coming, uh, having those kind of visions. It's interesting that. Yeah, I, I did quite a bit of research on different forms of autism, and you know, tried to to you know, do my character in a in a good light. Uh, my second book, he doesn't play as big a part uh, because he's, there. Uh, Tad is in a different continent, but in the third book, if if it, if it gets to go that far, he, he'll be a pretty major character. Do you write your books so that way there's some kind of ending on it that might be able to go to another book? Or do you just kind of, you know, have like standalone books and and hope that there's enough readers that love it enough to ask you for another one? Mm-hmm. Well, I usually write write it as a standalone book. Uh, I Station Zombie. I wrote the sequel because I was asked to, 
and then I was asked on the judgment day they wanted a series uh, set in America. There's this Severed Press, who is Australian. They wanted one set in America where everyone has access to a lot of weapons, and there's all kind of survivalists. And I said, you know, I live in Arizona. Everybody I know has got a gun and knows how to survive around here. So I said it mostly in Arizona and certainly mostly in the Southwest and a few other places I know, like Atlanta, San Diego, and uh, a few spots, you know, but kept it mostly in Arizona. I destroyed a lot of buildings around here in my book. <laughs> ah, they probably deserved it. <laughs> yeah. The only, that, that was my first one that I wrote as a series, but um, I've got two well, Oracle of Delphi, I, that's the first one that I really intended to write as a series. I had been, I started writing it probably three years ago, and then I've been going back over it and bringing it up to date and you know, trying to make it a better book and finally sold it. And I have one more that's making the rounds now that hopefully would be at least two books. It's a young adult uh, science fiction called Pools of Yara, but I haven't sold that one yet. Hopefully, uh, I can get it out there to somebody that likes it. Yeah, yeah. Anybody who's listening, get all you small press publishers, take a look at it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I've been writing my uh, young adult middle grade stuff under the name James Gurley, although I use J.E. Gurley for all the horror um, uh, of course, okay. the main reason I did that was when I Googled James E. Gurley, I wound up with a uh, a poet in California. So I figured uh, to save the someone being confused, I, I wrote it wrote as J. E. Gurley. Yeah, sometimes you got to double check on those things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, somebody on Facebook asked me that they noticed the Grave Dancers Club. Ad. Thank you very much for everybody giving me good kudos here. <laughs> they saw your ad on, on the website and wanted to know more about that about that story. Oh, great, yeah. That's uh that's really my latest book. And it's the it's my first attempt at uh like a middle grade horror. Um I really, really enjoyed writing this one. Um I said it in my hometown of Corinth, Mississippi because I grew up, you know, it's close to Shiloh and Battle of Corinth, a lot of Civil War. There's a lot of ghosts and ghost stories there. And uh, I, I wanted to bring in as much of my youth as I could, but set it in, you know, in modern times. I know kids, 14-year-olds are a, a lot different than when I grew up. But yeah. the same, the same feeling of what you do. You know, kid. People. Too many people think kids are, you know, not very bright, and they just talk about whatever, uh, you know, the ball game and girls and you know, video games. But kids are pretty intelligent, and they know mm-hmm. you know know a lot more than you give them credit for. So I decided to do a vampire story, but instead of your normal vampire, I used Strigoi vampires who, Strigoi, are psychic vampires. They don't drink your blood. They draw the life force from you. 
And I went just a little bit further. There's a lot of things I'm not sure about Strigoi. You read a lot of folklore about it. But they don't have to be in their body. Their body can be buried, and they astral project a physical body that drains oh, wow. life force from their victims. So I thought, well, you know, a combination like that is pretty good. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. having a bunch of kids trying to save themselves and from Strigoi vampires and find out who the, the main vampire is. Nobody's going to believe them, so who do they go to? <laughs> so I, I did bring in one adult uh, to help him out, a uh, retired priest, Father Julian. And uh, I, so far I think it's my best book. I, I really, really enjoyed writing it, and I hope I came across representing what I wanted to say in the in the book. So far, people that read it uh, think I did. They they like mm. it, and I'd like to do a series with those kids. Sounds like a good. It sounds interesting. Um, Psychic vampires. It's not something that's that's really utilized in, uh, you know enough of uh, making making the vampires different. As I often have people say that um, if I'm doing a cover for somebody. Um, I do covers for other for other publishers, and and the publishers said it's a vampire story, and it's different than anything else. And I'm going like, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. if you yeah, so. it, it tends to be too much of the either the sparkly vampires, or, you know, that in high school, or you know, uh, the uh, the ones you see in the movies, you know, the debonair count vampires, or something like that, but. You know, if you study up on it, there are literally hundreds of vampires in folklore from around the world, different kinds of vampires. And, uh, you know, just utilizing your blood-sucking vampires is limiting your scope. Definitely, definitely limiting. And I and I totally agree with that. And that's why not make it different. And so you, how did you find the information about this particular type of vampire? Well, I got most of it from a book written by my friend Jonathan Mayberry. Uh, it's a nonfiction book of <laughs> vampire folklore. Uh, if I can get the title right, I believe it's a vampire, uh, a field guide to vampire slayers. I may not have that exactly right. I should have written it field down. Field guide. Wow. Yeah, it's a field guide for vampire slayers, and it's just full of stories about vampires from around the the world and uh there's some really good asian and uh, uh japanese vampire legends that i'd oh, love yeah. to yeah. dig into i have heard some things uh you know from japanese folklore when it comes to vampires not so much blood sucking but again more mystical yeah yeah very very mystical there's so many ways you can become vampires and so many ways to kill them uh and some vampires, you kill them, and they become ghost vampires. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, there's a lot there. My first vampire novel was called Bloodlust, and it was basically about a creature. Uh, I used a, a chupacabra mm. that also killed young women for, for their blood. Mm. Uh, but, he, you know, he was a creature. He slashed their necks open, didn't drink it from their veins. But he also lived for hundreds of years. He flew, and he was super intelligent, or at least 
more intelligent than uh, humans. <laughs> and then when he they had he had children, uh, they they emerged from their eggs knowing everything the adult did. Oh wow, that's convenient. Yeah, <laughs> that that works because I mean you know uh, I also wondered you know the Dalai Lama how come he has to go back to to not knowing what he did in the previous life that does doesn't make sense to me. So yeah. <laughs> So it'd be very, you know, awesome if, 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 you know, one generation could learn uh, from the other generation. Right. There's, there's a, in, in nature it happens. I mean, uh, rats can learn, uh, you know, grind up rat brains and rats can learn, flatworms learn, you know, from eating other flatworms. Um, wow. You know, just take it a step further. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's fascinating. That and of course this this is what happens, people, when you actually read other works, and you know, kind of let it ferment and come up with ideas on what else. You know, of course, what is always the most interesting uh, question when it comes to fiction. <laughs> yeah, it's um, uh, I I once read that. Well, first off. You have to read in order to write. I was a voracious mm-hmm. reader when I was young. I would, like, during the summer, I would go to the library, get five or six books, and I'd just sit down and read one each day and, and then go back and get another one. I read, you know, everything, every field, history, uh, bi- biography, science fiction, horror, fantasy, uh, Western books, so, you know, anything I could get because it was just, for me, it was entertainment. And someone once told me, and I wish I could remember who, that uh, as far as, say, writing a story, if you have a crew in a spaceship circling the Earth, well, that's one thing. You have a meteor going to crash to the Earth and destroy a city. Okay, that adds some action. Then, if the spaceship (laughs) is going to be in the path of the meteor before it strikes the Earth, then you have a story. So you take A and B and you you know, sometimes yeah. You uh-huh. take two diverse things and say, What would happen if this did that? You know, if two you put two different things together and try and get a story out of it. You can get stories out of the headlines of newspapers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely true. Uh uh, I I look at your website, and if somebody were trying to get a hold of you, were there a couple of ways that they could do that? Well, my website has a contact page, so they can email me there. Uh, I'm on Facebook, both as James Gurley, and the author's page is J.E. Gurley. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I have a Yahoo email and a uh, Gmail email, so it's pretty easy to get hold of me. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you got all the all the points covered here. So you guys, and of course I, you got I a try blog to. on I'm, here. Yes, I do. I have actually, I have three blogs. <laughs> one of them is my writing. Another one is the Chef Jim's recipe page. I yeah, you know, I at least once that. a week. <laughs> I come up with a recipe that I've tried and use and and publish it. 
I have another blog, but it's so difficult to keep up with two that I'm going to pull that one from the website and just use it, uh, pull the link from the website, and just use it occasionally, maybe for reviews or something. You know, it's hard to, you know, if you leave something up there for several weeks and people come visit your site, they think it's static. Yeah. So I want to try and keep it fresh. But it, it's so hard to keep up with the social media nowadays. Oh, I know. Uh, I'm just know. just getting into to Twitter. I, you know, like a month ago, I had like maybe a hundred followers, and I followed 150, and I'm up to I follow about a thousand and have about 600 followers now. And I'm slowly getting up there. I'd love to have 10,000 followers. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of you know honestly I don't I don't uh, follow any new people. I just kind of let uh, people add on um, to Twitter only because there's so many other things that I'm doing. But um, yeah, it, it's you, it's tough to get it all done. Oh, I know, I know it. I oh anybody who I know a few people who listen to my show regularly. He's got a New Orleans style gumbo on his site. And, yeah, um, <laughs> that's good. I love I love Cajun cooking. It's difficult yeah, so to do it at home because my wife do, my wife doesn't like peppers or onions. Uh, she doesn't oh, like know. mushrooms or olives. Uh, she's um, um, gluten intolerant, oh, my. <laughs> so I can't make good gravies or anything. So I've learned to make gravies with uh, rice flour. Uh, oh, rice her. flour. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it it works pretty good. It tastes great. It just it's just not doesn't have that uh, Creole flavor to it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, uh, onions don't like me. So <laughs> <laughs> I if I, uh, eat, I love you know, peppers and onions. Is, yeah, I, I don't like peppers uh, so much with the onions. I don't know. They just they just they keep biting me back later. After, after yeah, a lot of people are like that. I love red onions. Uh, I, I try and stay away from green peppers. Um, they're pretty strong. I like red and yellow peppers uh, yeah. more than yeah, the green cooking. ones. I think for cooking, uh, yellow and red ones should be more flavorful anyway. They are, you know, yeah. I think green ones are for more for, I don't know, for eating raw. <laughs> yeah. Salt. Make it simple. Uh, also, I have a friend... Uh, who likes apple pie? So he's got a Fourth of July apple pie in here. So you guys need to take a look at his website and go on to the blog for his recipes. Um, he's got a brand new one, Southwest Southwestern meatloaf meatballs. I, I've got some friends who really love meatballs. So yeah, I did uh, that I got... one Sunday for some friends. Uh, uh-huh. it was, I love meatloafs, but it was more convenient in this instance to. Uh, do it in a meatball form and and put it in a crock pot with a nice gravy. So it was easier to everybody to get to. Turned out great. Looks like you have a, a lot. <laughs> I know we're getting off the beaten path here, but you know what? We might as well make this an all-around thing. I was noticing that you have uh, you have chopped celery, but you've got chili, and you got quite a few of the different. Uh, uh, other things in there like thyme and and I know I'm going to totally get this wrong. Is it uh, cumin or 
or C-U-M-I-N. Cumin. I knew I was going to butcher it. It's basically ground coriander uh, oh, seeds. Okay. It's 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 used a lot in southwestern cooking, and oh, okay. uh, I you know I do a lot of southwestern cooking. There's so many. Everybody like jalapeno or or habaneros, which are you know really very, very hot. hot. <laughs> but there's so many different kind of peppers out there, and they have different flavors. You can roast them, and they have one flavor. Uh, you use them raw, they have a different flavor. You can smoke them, uh, you know, not like roll them up in a paper and smoke them, but, you know, smoke yeah. them with a, a little mesquite or something, and they have, a you know, a third flavor. So I, sometimes I'll use, like, ancho chilies in two different forms. So it, it gives you a bite, but it also adds flavor. Too many people just go for heat. They want it hot. Oh. They think southwestern should be hot, and it should have a bite, but it should have a taste. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a not a real hop lover, so my son is. We're kind of strange. <laughs> I, I've never, you know, because I wasn't eating that that hot of things when I was carrying him. But for some reason, he just came out really liking hot food. So. <laughs> yeah, I like so, Thai uh, food, and they they use some pretty hot peppers. Yeah. So I think I know one reason why uh, Jean got and liked your uh, website because I'm sure, sure that she found your recipes uh, in here, <laughs> and more likely she's probably already using them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now, now I see. Uh, now I know. <laughs> I hope they work out. I started out on my website just trying to give some useful tips about you know, cooking in the kitchen, you know, as far as, you know, do this, safety tips, how to sharpen your knife. But people were mm-hmm. wanting recipes, so I decided to do that. I did catering. My wife and I both did catering for a while. That That's fun. Um, it, it's cooking without putting up with the kitchen. Working in restaurants is rough, and I didn't mm-hmm. start till I was in my 40s. So yeah. that, it's pretty rough to get in there and compete with, you know, twenty year twenty year olds. Mm. It kind of runs you ragged. <laughs> oh yeah, I can imagine. So I've seen some of the cooking shows. I, I don't watch too many of them, but um, you know, they get very vicious. <laughs> <laughs> they can. I've, I've worked for some <laughs> chefs that were pretty mean guys, but luckily I was old enough that I just didn't take a lot of crap. They'd start throwing stuff around, and you know, I'd like pick up one of my knives and say, you know. Stop that, or I'm going to stab you in the heart and look at me and like, I didn't know if I was kidding or not, but they treated me with a little more respect. Oh, if they read your, your books, they probably would definitely be wondering. Yeah, if I read my books, they would have definitely been afraid. <laughs> to get your ideas from somewhere, you never know, you know. Yeah. I try and use food in, in almost every book that I write, uh, Okay. You know, I mean, you know, people eat, and you can't just talk about, you know, they they were eating this or that. But people have conversations when they eat, and yes. sometimes it opens up your characters, uh, both by what they're eating and, of course, the conversation they carry on with whoever they're eating with. So I try and throw in some uh, some food in there. Book I'm working on right now, another zombie novel, my main character's a chef, <laughs> 
Well, you're right. I don't think know. he's going to cook any zombies. Well, that's good. That, that that's kind of gross. <laughs> <thought>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, so, which one do you like better? Do you like sci-fi or do you like horror? Well, I like sci-fi better, and I like reading it more. But I enjoy writing horror because it. Uh, I, I think it requires a little more imagination. When you're writing science fiction, you have to ground yourself in the science, and you have to do a lot of research on whatever you're writing about. And of course, your mind—you know—you're you're still making stuff up. But in horror, you can, you know, basically you can write anything. Anything can be horrible. <laughs> and uh, you're trying to convey the horror that the the character is feeling, and uh, sometimes I'm, I write stuff and I'm like, I check, make sure my door is closed, or uh, you know, <laughs> hear a creaking noise, and I get up, check out the uh, house, well. <laughs> scare well, myself. That's, that's one of the questions I'm going to ask. It well, you do you write uh, your horror at night, or do you try to write it during the day? Well, I, I write pretty much all the time. Um, I work from home. My wife uh, is a project manager for a large company, and she works from home. She has an office in the front of the house facing the Catalina Mountains, a little, oh. you know, about 15 miles away. And I have a, a bedroom office facing the Tortolita Mountains that are about, oh, a half a mile away. <laughs> so... We both have great views, and I like to get up early in the morning and either go outside and write or sit here and write. And I get up and move around and do things during the day and usually come back in the evening and write. Um, sometimes I'll stay up till 2 or 3 in the morning writing uh, if if mm-hmm. I've got the flow going. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard. If if you got an idea and it seems to be working, you don't want to stop <laughs> yeah. because you might not remember the feeling of what you're writing. You might remember the words, but you won't remember how you felt when you were writing it. Yeah, it's hard to get back in that groove. Yeah. Sometimes I'll be sitting here and, uh, you know, some quail will walk by or a road runner or, uh, you know, bobcat come up and drink out of our bird bath and I'll stop writing and watch <laughs> them for a while, but I, I try to get back into writing. I write quite a few hours a day, probably at least six. Wow. Yeah, I guess that's what it takes. You know, uh, once you get into, do you write one book at a time, or do you are you able to write a couple things at a time? I usually have at least two books going that I'm that I'm writing every day on. Um, I write one until I kind of come to a point where. I need to to think things through, so I'll jump to the other one and work on that. And sometimes an idea that I had in one book works better in the other novel. Oh. And then I take time out at least a couple of times a week to go back over. I have a backlog of novels that I haven't sold, and I go back over them and try and bring them up to date and improve the grammar and the writing and send them out again You know, to make the rounds. Like As I said earlier... I'm a better writer than I was. I'm surprised I sold some novels five and six years ago. 
Uh, do you send try to send them out to the big six publishers, or you really like uh, working with mid-range publishers? Well, mid-range and small press are certainly um, easier to get to. Um, starting out, of course, I sent stuff out to you know Tor and Dolls and everybody, and you know, eighteen months later, I'd get a little sorry your your novel doesn't meet our needs at the time. That's pretty rough. I mean, at least a lot of small press, if they reject you, they'll say, oh, the story was good, but, you know, I couldn't get into this character, or when he did this, it kind of threw me out out of the mood. So, it, you know, feedback helps. Yeah, um, definitely. You know, I always a rejection letter with feedback is gold to me. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather yeah. sell it, but, you know, anybody that take the time out to tell me how to improve what I'm writing helps and with with uh you know a, a small press or middle press the turnaround time is just a you know maybe months um, right you know a few months instead of waiting two years and by that time or, or two or three years by that time the market may have changed so you it's kind of a shot in the dark yeah yeah here they say they want you to not, you know, submit anywhere else. But you know, how can you not do that as a business? You know, yeah, you, know, you, you have to. It is a business. Now, I do keep a, a a record of who I would submit to and when, and you know, follow up periodically. But if I do play something with someone, I go back to everyone else I submitted to, and let them know that I'm taking it, the story off the market for them because. I don't want them to take the time to to read it, maybe send it through two or three different readers mm-hmm. and and like it and then me you know, tell me they like it and then I turn around and say, Oh, you know, I just sold that one. Uh that's right. not good publicity. No. So I at least like let every make everybody aware. Yeah. Well that's good. I guess you a good reputation when uh you know, for you know, reputation do get around. So you have to watch yeah, I found out, you know, publishers, when they get together at conventions and they tell their stories, too, about yeah. about what happens and who to look out for and who to avoid. I've heard them before. I've gone to some conferences and, and they've talked about certain authors. Uh, you know, they didn't say their name to the general public, but... Um, yeah, they say, well, don't do this, don't do that, like this one publisher and this, this one uh, author. Um, and, you know, well, what it is, reputation, that kind of thing. So, yeah, you have to watch that. Uh, so the question is, what was one of the most surprising things you learned while creating your book, your first one? Uh, gee, well, I guess uh, in Hellrig, the, the main thing that I learned, unfortunately I learned it after I published it, was uh, I guess doing your research well. I went to websites and trying to get as much knowledge about voodoo as I could, but there's always someone out there, especially people that are really into voodoo, that are more knowledgeable than you are. So I had a lot of people, you know, telling me, well, well, you know, this isn't true, and you know, they're, you know, they're different names for the different uh, priestesses, and this this voodoo loa 
does this and not that, and, and you know, there's just a lot of stuff that I would have done differently if I had had better research. But again, you go to what you think are reputable sites and mm-hmm. uh, try and take that knowledge. I guess that I even went in one book, Southwestern, about uh, Navajo legends. I went to libraries and, and got a lot of books by supposedly knowledgeable authors and then found out later that they had kind of made a mishmash of legends from Apache and Hopi and Navajo, and uh, some of them were totally different from each other, but they just kind of threw them all in there together. So I had to do a lot of changing in that that story. Wow. Well, you know what I always say, there's always a bigger fish. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So some somebody knows more than you do. I mean, that's just you know, that's the way of things. <laughs> that, it we, is, and I, I don't mind someone knowing more about the subject than I do. I you know, I don't don't mind my mistakes being pointed out because I can always, you know, take that to heart and use it in my next novel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what kind of marketing do you do for your books? Uh, well, I try and you know go the social media route as much as I can. Um, I spend you know probably too much time each day making rounds on Facebook and Twitter and uh, uh, different different things like that. I advertise in different magazines. I try and find find ones that uh, kind of match what I'm writing. Uh, I've had a couple that didn't pay off. I had a couple that paid off really well. Uh, One thing I have learned, uh, the Facebook promotion ads, you know, you put in there and, you know, for 10 bucks or 10 bucks or $20, whatever you want to spend, they send it out to like 5,000 people. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't really pay off. (laughs) I saw no no upsurge in sales and it might have gone to 5,000 people, but when only 20 of them talk about it, that you're not getting much bang for your buck. Mm-hmm. I do word of mouth. I try and do as much as I can at conventions and, and bookstores. I have uh, postcards printed of every novel that I've got out uh, with a little blurb on the back. I have bookmarks. I have business cards I give out to everyone. I usually have one or two different posters when I go to uh do book signings. So a lot mm-hmm. of it's word of mouth. That's good. That's good. Libraries and, and are pretty good. Things. If you donate books to libraries, they usually, you know, give you a little blurb and maybe put it up on their website for a while. Uh, you know, if it's in front of readers, that's who you're you're trying to, to cash in on. I haven't had too much luck here in the Phoenix area with libraries when it comes to that. Uh, they have their hands tied uh, because of politics. So uh, yeah, I, it, it's pretty rough. I uh, I tried for a long time to get some books in like Barnes and Nobles, but mm-hmm. a lot of my books are you know print on demand. I mean that's the way everyone's going. Right. And even though they can be returned, they say, well you know we don't do print on demand and we don't do books that from small pubs because. They can't be returned, and I said, "Well, yeah, they can, and all that." But say, "Well, you have to contact our main office." And the main office says, "Well, you have to contact your local store." 
So they wind up <laughs> yeah. with, you know, 100 books by by one author and not, you know, a bunch by everybody. So yeah. that's something you have to, you know, live with, I guess, deal with it. You go to to uh, smaller bookstores. Yeah. And I've got many sales from each one, but they do add up. Exactly. And, of course, you're helping the local community by doing that. Right, yeah. Yeah. I I want to do as much, you know, locally as I can, as much publicity, uh, especially since, like, my Judgment Day series is set here in Tucson. I like people to read it and say, oh, you know, when they're driving down the expressway, oh, this is where, you know, this guy was killed <laughs> by a zombie, and that's where they burn bodies and go to bios, <laughs> Biosphere 2, you know, up in Oracle around here, and, uh, oh, he destroyed that. <laughs> Yeah, that that does make it for interesting reading when when you can uh, apply it someplace that you're that you're seeing that you're you're at. That be this cool idea. As I, I can't do that because my my writing is fifteen hundred. So, <laughs> uh, oh well. <laughs> so, okay, I've got a special question for you. This is uh, all right. We've already talked well over an hour, believe it or not. And uh, yeah, it's just been a wonderful conversation, and that's how it should go. We were, you know, it's like you look up and oh wow, so well over an hour. It's no problem at all. That's why I have. I know, love to talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've made our gamut around uh, every, almost everything that you've, you've written so far. So here's your special question: Now that you have successfully slain the dragon, how will you celebrate? Hmm. Well, I would, normally I would say I would go out and eat a great meal, but I'm trying to lose weight, so I'm having to really curtail on that. <laughs> um, probably go to one of the casinos <laughs> and, and see if I can win some money. I usually, sometimes I get lucky and break even. <laughs> well, if you're lucky but, enough uh, to play a dragon, you should be able to, you know, to perhaps win some money from the casino. <laughs> yeah. I try and set a limit on what I can lose and make it a, uh, you know, the price of entertainment. If I can spend two or three hours and lose, you know, 50 or 100 bucks, I figure that's not too bad. Sometimes I'll walk away with some money. I've won 500 a few times. No, you know, not enough to retire, but even, even totally retired, I'd still be riding, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Everybody has a different answer when I ask that question. That's why I say always curious on, on, uh, and it does sometimes depend on what they write. So uh, it does yeah. uh, show some some of their personality, and so that's why I asked that question. <laughs> so with that, I'm going to say good night. It's still daylight here. It's still daylight here in Arizona, and of yeah. course I'm in I'm in Mesa, so I'm not too far from Tucson. And um, more than likely, I'll be down for the for Tuscan. Uh, I, I believe so. I know I'm doing yeah. something the week before that. I'm I've doing got a booth down there this that. year. That. Oh, okay. Oh, you got you got a table, huh? Yeah, I'm in a table. Sorry, and um, you know, would love to be on some panels. I uh, put myself out there, but we'll see. But I enjoy yeah. Tuscan. I mean, it's just down the road, I usually just, you know, drive down there each day. But this time, you know, having a table, I may go ahead and 
stay there at the uh, hotel and uh, enjoy some of the parties. Those those are usually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you might want to get your room early because that, the hotel's kind of small, so they, they sell out really fast. Yeah, I will. I'll book it here yeah. pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, and I, I know tables are hard uh, hard to come by. You have to get them pretty soon, pretty quickly. Otherwise, they they uh, sell out. So hey, that's good good thing to happen. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping for some good sales, but you know, mainly it's just uh, put my books out there and let somebody look at them. Maybe they'll get an idea. Uh, well, I noticed it. Know who you are then? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I noticed at the Tucson Festival of Books, people would come by and look over my books and, you know, not buy it at the time. But I noticed a, a, a nice surge in sales of e-books. So I think they were just checking the title out, reading the blurb, going home and ordering an e-book. And, of course, I got no problem with that because profit's better on those than a printed book. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well... I always notice the weekend, you know, uh, right after, like the Monday after, I'm I'm someplace on the weekend. So uh, I guess surges of sales, people curious about the books that I put out and and things I've written. So I always see that and also see, obviously, the numbers go up on all the websites that I have anything to do with. But on the Monday after, I go out. So I, I make a habit of going out as much as possible. <laughs> yeah, I, I try and try and get out there uh, to as many conventions as I can. I think next year I'll have to limit myself to, you know, the local area. I, you know, maybe some San Diego and certainly the local ones and KillerCon in Vegas. And I might, you know, like go to Austin for a couple or something like that. But those, you know, staying gone for a week, that's kind of rough mm-hmm. on me. <laughs> yeah. You should try your art walks, your local art walks. Because yeah. if if you're a local author, more than likely you don't have to pay for the table. And uh, that way people in the community will find out who you are. Um, yeah, well, should, that's a good suggestion. You should make some sales on the, you know, if you don't make too many sales, I usually wind up, get, again, getting more hits on the website. Uh, yeah. You know, day after, so that's always good. Well, it, it gets me out of the house, <laughs> for one there thing. There you go. Yeah. You know, if I just sat here and write all the time, I'd be, become a hermit. That's why I play ah, music, you know, easy. as much as I can. It it kind of frees my mind. Uh, I, I can be playing something without thinking about, you know, what the next move of my character is. So it kind of empties my head for a while. Ah, Okay. Well, now now we have to know something more about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really happy to have met you, and we will we will meet in person sometime. I mean, you know, we have uh, Leprechaun coming up next year. Uh, right. May, so, so we'll definitely. Yep, I'll certainly uh, be there, and I'll help out yeah. any way I can. It's, it's always pretty fun. We've got lots of stuff going on, and it's chill. Um, I'm not. I'm. I'm publicity this time. I'm not the chair. So. <laughs> I you know, last year I was going to go to Leprechaun, but I wound up being sick for about a week during that time. I did oh, make wow. it to CopperCon, but I usually, you know, just go up for like one day or something for CopperCon. But uh, yeah, they, they moved CopperCon. Need to go to all of them. Uh, I actually will be at CopperCon if you if you come up. So. 
I'm okay. actually yeah. moderating moderating uh, uh, a lot of the main author guests of honors. So um, oh, I've, I've already had him on the radio. So <laughs> it's kind of like, okay, we'll, we'll rehash what we've already talked about and add some more stuff. So <laughs> it'll be fun. It'll be fun. So, yeah, uh, that's going to be uh, the first week of August. So you take a look at their website and find out a little more about it. Um, yeah, I will. I'll, I'll be up there at least one day. I know, don't know if I'll be spending the night and doing two days or not. I'm, I'm going to try to, but it all depends on if my wife wants to come or not. Oh, yeah. But, uh, well, if you see me, and uh, you know, definitely come over and say hi or yell out, you know, yell out for me and say, hey, Patty. <laughs> I'll try I sure will. I certainly appreciate this opportunity to talk with you and to be on the radio, and you know, hopefully somebody will uh, will follow through and buy a few books. If not, it's been a pleasant conversation. Well, that's that's what it's all about, and I'm quite sure that, that definitely you'll see some increase in your traffic. Um, Let's see here. This is a gift that keeps on giving, just to let you know that it will go into archive mode about an hour after the show. And what that means is that it will be up there forever as long as, long as I'm on Blog Talk. Uh, it, it, anybody can go back and, and read. And I do have people who actually go back over a year ago and so, uh, you know, listen to shows that I've done a long time ago. <laughs> They they want to hear everything after they've they've heard uh, a couple of things. I've gotten better at it. Just like writing, you know, I've gotten better at the at this interview stuff. So um, mm, some good. of my early stuff is really bad. It's kind of like my first book, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I I sent to put the link out to you know I'm on several Facebook groups and Yahoo groups and have a couple of Facebook pages and uh, you know put it out there and you know when I've do when you archive it, I'll put that link out there periodically, and you know, keep people interested and keep keep them coming to your site because it's a great site, and uh, everybody yeah, and should then, utilize it if they can. Yeah. And of course, they can hear, they can listen to this at, and at their own leisure. So if they want to stop and then come back to it, they can do that. So it's uh, like I say, it's a gift that keeps on giving. So with that. I'm going to be sending that embedded file to you uh, probably by tomorrow. So, okay, you, ha- you have a great one tonight, and hope you do some writing tonight. I will. <laughs> I appreciate the opportunity, Patty. Thank you, James. Bye bye. No, thank you. Bye. I need to do a shout out. There's a couple of people who I wanted to shout out for their projects they have going on. Um, one of them is a young man in Malaysia who is trying to get to. Let's see here. He's trying to get to uh, Sweden. Whoops. And I'm trying to get this. Sorry, uh, I can put that up for you guys. Um, anyway, every little bit helps when it comes to these uh, crowdfunding projects, okay? This one's a personal one. He's trying to get to another country. And you know, as I do, when you're trying to get to a different country, you you wind up being, um, and having a lot of things that, you know, expenses that you weren't planning on. And so, you know, because of that, he needs your help. 
And that's not Indiegogo. This is going to be a personal one. I'm trying to find it here. I move things around on the website. And here we go. <clears throat> I'm sorry, it's not. It's Finland, which of course is around the same area, and it's a really cool place. He's got a beautiful picture on, on this information. Uh, com, and the project you're looking for is to Finland or bust. So com. And that's for a more personal. Uh, Christopher is looking to get to Finland, and he needs your help and, and expenses in order to get there. Uh, he's got a friend who's trying to start a business with him, and uh, that's going to be after he gets there. But he can't help him if he can't get to Finland. So definitely, Ad has you know, this information too. A little bit of help here. He could definitely use it. He, he needs uh, about four thousand dollars total to get to Finland and be able to have expenses to be able to take care of things you need to take care of. And that information is down in the chat, so you can link directly to it. Also, uh, shout out for another friend of mine who is doing a different. Uh, this is actually Helsing. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, his son is working on a a movie uh, with you know, some other young men who are starting, who just started a new uh, movie company. And they got a really great idea. It's, it's an interesting, uh, it's called Helsing. And it's a different idea to the uh, vampire story. Uh, very, very bloody. <laughs> so it's very, very bloody and gory. So, uh, you know, just a warning to you guys on that one. But definitely take a look at it. It's also on the wa.com. Both of these um, are crowdfunding projects are in uh, on the website at the WAD that's W-O-D dot net the WAD dot net obviously is KWAD's uh, website version as well as the uh, website version of the national newspaper that we put out monthly called the WAD gee what a concept the WAD newspaper and uh, this is a, a monthly newspaper that we distribute to 250 locations around Arizona, uh, also to conventions not only in Arizona, but also to California and outlying uh, states around us, as well as we've gotten as far as Virginia and Pennsylvania. So uh, definitely take a look at the net. Both of these projects are on there. Uh, of course, we've had uh, we've already talked to the team from Helsing uh, last week, so go back and take a look at take a listen to that particular show because uh we had quite a few of the uh people working on that show and also had um our friend who writes for us in the, at the newspaper um Hal Ostel who is a uh he's a reviewer for independent films and so we had him on as well talking about uh the project itself and the movie and um you know distribution of the movie so uh, they, they could use your help as well. Uh, again, of these people who have projects and they, they need something, some help to get them 
kick started, okay? Also, we've got another show tomorrow. Yay! we got three of them in a row, people. We just got one down, and tomorrow we've got, it'd be earlier, as we're going to, we started a Escape the Grind. It's a coffee shop show. And Dina, Dina Remill, she's going to be our guest tomorrow from 2 to 3.30 at the Coffee Rush in in Gilbert. I know I put the wrong location on here. It's not on the Ray Road. It's going to be on Elliott, on Elliott Road uh, in in Gilbert. So take, if you wanted to find it online, go to Coffee Rush. And if, if you, have to be, you have to be obviously local in order to get that to work right. But um, again, this is going to be in Gilbert, so we got to be, you know, Arizonan to actually come on over and take it, you know, and listen to us. But it's going to be live as long as Wi-Fi works. As long as Wi-Fi works, we'll be on live. On Thursday, real fast here, I've got uh, a special treat, Trina Robbins, who's going to be one of the guests of honors at CopperCon. She's going to be at CopperCon in August, and she's going to be talking to us about the history of a lot of the comic books when it comes to women. Women, uh, you know, people who draw, uh, the artists for the comic books, and the women, the history of the historical significance of women in that particular business. Trina Robbins. And so that would be on Thursday at our regular time, 5.30 to, to 6.30 or 7, probably to 7. Uh, we've got a lot of questions for her about the history and a lot of works that she's she's worked on and continues to work on. And, of course, the fact that she's going to be right here in town in August. So we're looking forward to talking to her. So with that, she said, I will see you guys this weekend sometime if I don't hear from you on Wednesday or Thursday. This is Cable Radio, and this is Patty Holstrand signing out.